0: Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m. And you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, Bethany family, on this Palm Sunday of 2020. We've been in a series on the character of Christ being produced in us. We've called it the diamond in the rough. And you see behind me this beautiful string art that we've had these past several weeks. What's interesting to note here as we've unleashed this diamond of love, which is the character God wants to produce most in our lives, is to see where we are in this drawing, this string art. We are all these connecting points of this string. What's interesting is that many people are directed straight to the edges of the letters for love. Others are connected to each other who are connected to this, these edges of love. This is how the Church of Jesus Christ grows, and today we're looking at self-control, the final facet in the diamond of love. But before I begin this message for today, I must say two things. First... How thankful I am for Pastor Chris, the worship team, and the Chandler family for helping me and all of us to worship today. What inspiration and what encouragement they are, and I'm grateful for what they have brought to us this morning. And second, I miss you all very much. While isolation is certainly needed to stop this pandemic that we're experiencing across the world, I have come to believe even more strongly the words of God in Genesis when he says it is not good for the people to be alone. We need to be alone to stop the virus. But I can hardly wait until we're back together again and we're able to hold each other and shake hands and speak to each other in close contact with one another, knowing that we are the family of God together. I look forward to that day. Let me introduce the scripture for this morning this way. The people of Israel were occupied. They were occupied and dominated by Rome. But for the past three years, many of the people in Israel had been delightfully distracted. They were drawn to Jesus, the authority and the wonder of his teachings, the awesome power of his healings and other miracles, the thought that perhaps he was the promised one, The one called the Messiah, the one God had said he would send to rescue them. Perhaps this was he. Listen, though, today for what Dr. Luke writes about this day on the way into the city of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying this colt? You tell them, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, sure enough, its owners asked them, Why are you untying our colt? The Lord needs it, they said. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and sat him upon it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, it was an amazing gathering of people that Sunday on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem. A few of them were people of position, the ones who are ranked in religion. They're curious. They're wondering about this Jesus. They're checking him out for the leadership who saw him as a troublemaker. Some had been affected by his teaching. Perhaps they'd seen a few of the miracles. They certainly had heard of them. But for the most part, this group did not believe in his being from God and certainly did not see him as the promised Messiah. Without a doubt, these were the ones embarrassed by the loud cheering of the crowd, and they were asking Jesus to make them be quiet. Most of the people that day were the poor and the disconnected, the unemployed, the underemployed, people who had the time on their hands to wander the hills of Israel with Jesus. Many of these had also been affected by his teaching. Many had experienced some of his miracles and some, some had been the object of his healing. They'd been unable to walk and today they were walking into Jerusalem with him. They had been unable to see, and today they were seeing everything as they walked with him into Jerusalem. They had been unable to speak, and today they were the ones who were cheering him on. And for the most part, this group believed in him being from God, and they wondered if he was the Messiah. So walking toward Jerusalem, this crowd of Leaders and rabble, this crowd of believers and antagonists, this crowd of unashamed cheerleaders and embarrassed sophisticates are about to experience the heart and the soul of Jesus with whom they walk. What I want to help us do today is see Jesus in a fresh way, for he reveals himself clearly in this Palm Sunday. We begin with this thought, Jesus sees. In Luke 19.41, we read, Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city. You know, some people have an uncanny ability to see. They're the ones who can always find Waldo. When traveling, they always see the wildlife alongside the road and point it out to everyone in the vehicle. They know when you've bought a new outfit or had your hair cut. It's wonderful these people have this great ability. Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem. Not just the skyline, but the contents, the people. And not just the people in general, but the individual people. He saw the children, those who were objects of abuse, those who were nurtured, those who were respected and obedient, and those who were rebellious. He saw the women, those who were the objects of lust, and those who were honored and loved those who were negative and nagging and those who nurtured and encouraged. He saw the men, those who were selfish and self-serving and those who stood strong for justice and mercy. He saw the condition of their lives. He saw all the stuff of life that had squashed them and kept them from really living. He saw all the foolish choices they had made that had not only hurt them but hurt many others. He saw all that made them feel dirty and unloved. He saw all the reality, and it broke his heart. A prophet, many had said, being celebrated on this day like a king coming home from a great victory. Sitting on a colt, this prophet king who sees all has a broken heart. And as he saw, Jesus sobs. We read again in Luke nineteen forty one. Jesus wept over it. That is, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. It's not a silent sobbing, it's not like a tear coming down his cheek. The word that Dr. Luke uses speaks of uncontrolled sobbing, sobbing without any suppression whatsoever. Jesus' body is shaking, Jesus is making loud sounds. It is as uncontrolled and perhaps for some as embarrassing as the cheering the Pharisees have tried to silence of the crowd. Is it because of what he sees? Of course. But there's more to it than that. It is also because he sees what they do not see. They are so engrossed in their own life, whether it be self-pity or self-satisfaction or the judgment they have of And authority they have over others, they do not see how it really is. And more importantly, they do not see who he is. Ever notice something new on the road? A road you travel often only to find out it has always been there? It was always there. Why wasn't it seen? Preoccupation. Eyes and mind already focused elsewhere. Jesus who sees all is broken-hearted at the preoccupations of the people that blind them to see that God has come to them. They do not recognize who he is or where he has come from or even that his character his words and behavior are those of God. They had not learned the lesson from Elijah. Elijah on the mountain they're looking for God's power to be like the storm or the fire or the earthquake that would shake the earth and set things right and overthrow the infidels of Rome. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were preoccupied with. Yet, as it was for Elijah, the presence of God was coming as a still, small, peaceful voice, yet with the power to withstand any storm, any fire, any earthquake, even ones that shake the earth's foundation, and I would add, any pandemic that isolates. Ironically, Jesus was coming to the city of Jerusalem, a name which means foundation of peace, and yet they could see that in him, they could not see that in him their opportunity for peace, for contentment, for renewal, for wholeness, because they don't see him. They're about to miss the greatest work of God's unconditional love and acceptance. They're going to miss it. Jesus sees them, and he sobs. He sobs, especially, that they do not see him. Yet, Jesus still comes. We read again in Luke 19, now verse 44. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. With all that he saw, Jesus still comes. He doesn't stop and say, what's the use, and walk away. He doesn't say, I'll teach them a lesson and come to judge and punish them. But Jesus continues into the city. He continues to the cross, the means by which their peace with God can be accomplished. He still does his work of salvation because some will see. Some will receive and believe in him. Some will not miss God's visitation. On this day, this Palm Sunday day, Jesus sees, Jesus sobs, and Jesus still comes. What are some applications? I'll give you three. First, I don't want to miss Jesus' visit in my life. My guess would be you don't want to miss his visit in your life either. And frankly, it's clear it isn't a one-time visit. It isn't God is here now and gone later. It's he's here now, he was here yesterday, and he'll be here tomorrow. I miss his visit, however, when I'm preoccupied when I don't recognize that he's here. I miss his visit when I don't let him help me open my eyes to see what he sees. I miss his visit when I don't let him help me do what he wants me to do, what he would do. It was a spring afternoon in California. I was a young youth pastor. I was at home on my day off with my wife, Karen. Looking out the window, I saw a man walking down the street on the side of our house, and he was stumbling and bumbling and really kind of dragging himself along. He came into our yard. He fell into one of our bushes. He got up and began to stumble across the street. I judged him. He's a drunk. Carolyn didn't see what I saw. She saw a man in need. She told me I should go out and help him. Carolyn can be very persuasive. So I went outside, and to my surprise, I didn't smell alcohol. So I made a second judgment. He's on drugs. He's a dope addict. I still couldn't see what Carolyn saw. In the kitchen, she called 911. And a few moments later, an ambulance arrived in a police car, and as it turned out, the man was having an insulin reaction. What did I see? I saw a drunk. I saw a dope addict. I needed Carolyn's help to see that this was a needy man. And even if he had been drunk, even if he had been on drugs, he was still a needy man who needed help. What did I do? I judged him from my window, and I judged him in a different way when I couldn't smell alcohol. But fortunately, I listened to my wife and went out to give assistance. She had Jesus' eyes that helped me see what he saw. A second application. There is a downside to seeing what Jesus sees. I know that Jesus' way will break my heart. Seeing what he sees will drive us to love as he loves, but that is very hard work. But if we do his work of love, we will not miss his presence. And that makes it all worthwhile. The third application is about his love. But it asks the question, how does all this fit with our Diamonds in the Rough series? Isn't this supposed to be the last Sunday of this series and about self-control? Yes, it is supposed to be that. But it fits. Listen. So often self-control is defined as that which sets boundaries for my behavior sets boundaries on my words, sets boundaries on my attitudes, making sure I do not cross a line. But let me suggest another way to consider self-control. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, the diamond in the rough, the diamond itself, the sparkle, is love. Christ's love is to go beyond any other kind of love our world experiences or expresses. What needs to be self-controlled is not my love, but my tendency to not love. What needs to be self-controlled is my tendency to make judgments, my tendency to dismiss people as drunks or addicts, my tendency to withhold love. My love for the stumbling man in my yard was self-controlled. My love was self-controlled in that it was held back. Carolyn's love for that same man was unleashed so something helpful and redemptive could happen. The Pharisees' love for the people of God was self-controlled and, frankly, controlling in that it sought to silence the people's joy. And Jesus, Jesus' love for the people of Jerusalem was not controlled. He was unleashed because despite what he saw and despite what he knew, he still came to love and rescue them. Jesus' love for all people is unleashed. He sees, he knows, it breaks his heart, and he still comes. What needs to be self-controlled is our tendencies, our natural tendencies to withhold, to not love, to not be unleashed in God's name. Jesus teaches us that his love through us is not to be held back. His love for us and through us is to be unleashed. What can we do in these days, in these days of a pandemic and of isolation? are some very practical ways people at Bethany are unleashing love. Some are calling, texting, FaceTiming, Zooming one another to stay in touch, and they're doing it on a regular basis. Others are writing letters, some are sending cards, but staying in touch with people that they can't be with right now. One person, person bought some flowers and placed them on their neighbor's porch. Another is sewing masks for first responders and health care workers. Others are taking prayer walks. In some ways, praying for the people whose names have come out from Bethany in all of the emailings and mailings that we've sent. Others are praying for the people who live in the homes they are walking by. These are just a few of the ways that we can unleash the love of God and unleash our love in these days of pandemic where people are fearful and anxious. This can be our way of speaking out as the crowd on that first Palm Sunday, the crowd who said, and we can join them in saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hallelujah. Let us unleash the love of God. Amen. God bless you all.